ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And I think it's gonna help us to understand the supremacy of Christ. You know, when we think about the old covenant in Hebrews language, the old covenant is parallel to the old priesthood. When we think about the priesthood of Aaron, we might as well be talking about the old covenant because what he's establishing is there's a better covenant, there's a better priesthood, and Jesus is the answer. Jesus fulfills it all. So this morning, what I want you to do is go back to the Old Testament, and I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. This morning, we're going to look at a message entitled New Covenant Blessings, and our text is going to be Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through verse 28. Let's look at Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. I left something over here, so I'm going to go grab it. The, uh, when you turn there, the first thing I want you to look at, as we look at verse 24, we're going to notice a context that we have to deal with, because we have to understand. We saw this a little bit in Jeremiah 31, actually, and I didn't take the time to really stop and look at it. Hebrews gives a direct quotation out of Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. We read Ezekiel 36, verse 24, It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And if you've learned anything while you've been at Riverside, I pray that it's the importance of understanding the context from where you're at when you look at an interpretation of scripture. So what, how you might be thinking, well, how in the world can we gain spiritual principles from a passage that is written to Israel and Judah? And that would be a very good interpretive question. The answer that I would give is this. At this point, anyone that studies the Bible has an interpretive lens as to what we do with verse 24. There are those that believe that Israel is replaced by the church. I have many friends that believe that. But I believe here, personally, on my current theological journey, I still regard some of the promises of the Old Testament yet to be fulfilled, fulfilled in the future. And so when I look at verse 24, I believe this involves a future promise that has not yet been fulfilled to Israel. But in regards to that, I believe that what Ezekiel describes here as the Lord gives him these words, I believe he's describing the spiritual blessings of the new covenant that will come upon Israel. Thus, we can step back and say, look at what we have in common because all in Christ experience the blessings of the new covenant. There's only one way. And when we look at the new covenant blessings, Ezekiel becomes a place where we can glean four new covenant realities. There may be more than four, maybe less than four. That's what I came up with. Four new covenant realities that we learn from Ezekiel 36. And as we seek to find and establish the superiority of Christ, how can we see the new covenant as a covenant filled with blessings? Well, let's look at it this morning in verse 25. 
He goes on, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This morning, the first new covenant reality that we're gonna see out of Ezekiel 36 that I believe is one that we have to consider as the miracle of the blessings of God in Jesus Christ is that we are cleansed as a result of the new covenant. All of those, all of us who by grace through faith alone in Christ alone have experienced a cleansing because of the new covenant promises. And Ezekiel writing many, many years before the coming of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit was brought into the reality that God had a way that was coming in the future that would far supersede the old way, that God would bring a purity to the people that they could never establish on their own. And we see here that we are, we are so dirty in our sin. We are oh so dirty in our sin but through the promise of the new covenant and through the work of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now cleansed. You see, the, under the old covenant, we were not cleansed. Under the old covenant, it only condemned. The covenant under the law, while revealing to us the holiness of God, it basically then could not produce holiness within our hearts but it revealed to us the distance we had to the holiness of God. It revealed to us our sin. It revealed to us our sinfulness. You, you know, can you think of a time, I always consider this, when you come to a text like this, can you think of the dirtiest you can ever remember being? I, I saw a picture last night. Isn't it crazy when you see pictures of yourself in your 20s and you go, who is that person? I didn't know they existed. And uh, I was like, wow, I looked young at one point in my life, and I looked in shape. And uh, I was looking at a picture of a trip I was on in Israel, and we were in uh, Jordan. And uh, we'd gone over the border into Jordan, but it reminded me of some things. And we were on a trip with a bunch of college and, and kids that were like right senior year in high school. And uh, so it was, it was a really adventurous trip. We did a lot of missions work. We had a basketball team. We had like a singing slash drama team. And we did all these different ministries throughout the country. And one time we had a really neat opportunity. We went down to see Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And down at Qumran, you're close to Masada. Masada is the famous, notorious place where right before the, you know, right, the last stronghold the Jews put up against the Romans. And the Romans built this ramp up to the map, to top of Masada. And, and, and basically all the Jews at the top, they killed themselves because they did not want to go down to the destruction of the Romans. And Masada is a very sobering place. And we got up at 4 a.m. We camped out in the wilderness of uh, the Judean wilderness. We got there and we, and we ate. 
and it was like a Bedouin tent meal, and it's like four o'clock in the afternoon, and we're already dirty. And we sit there all night, and you know, we're young, and we're all messing around throwing, you know, we got messing around with sports. I'm sure there was a football or soccer ball, and so we're all out there running around. You go to bed that night underneath the tent. You get up the next morning at 4 o'clock, and we hiked up Masada, and we got up to the top of Masada to watch the sunrise. We're up at the very, I mean, we're tired, we're dirty, and we walk down. And I remember there was a lady in our group that was having trouble with her knee, but for some reason she thought it'd be a good idea to hike up Masada. So I, did, I wanted to help her, and I helped her, and it took forever to get up Masada, and then we came back down. So we walked, they call it the snake path. It goes all the way up to the top. We came back down. We had to get back to Jerusalem. We got back to Jerusalem. We had to practice basketball that afternoon. By the time I hit the shower, it was on. It was some rough stuff. You can relate with me. You can think about when you're so dirty and you really sense the filth that you're living in. You can smell yourself. It's fun stuff. You're dirty. You're in need of cleansing. You see, when we look at this passage, unless the Spirit of God gives us eyes to see, it's far easier for us to detect physical filth than it is spiritual filth. You ever notice that? That's why Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he calls them what? He says they're whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they look really good, but inwardly, they're full of dead man's bones. You see, apart from revelation, apart from the work of the Spirit in our life, we self-justify. And that's one of the biggest problems, especially in areas that they've been exposed to the church. Typically, when a church has been in existence over 100 years in a community, people tend to be tempted with the, the, the horrible reality of self-justification. It's the self-justification. It's the same attitude we all fall prey to, apart from the grace of God, where it's the goodness that we exhibit that actually is the greatest deterrent from the gospel. You realize it was the goodness of the Pharisee that kept them out of heaven? Because Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for those who had arrived, who had self-justified. He came for those who recognized their spiritual bankruptcy. But we see throughout the scripture that we're in need of cleansing. I remember one of my first jobs in Chattanooga, I worked for a medical supply company. And before you're impressed with that, I cleaned wheelchairs. <laughs> I cleaned wheelchairs. That's all I did. And I sat back in the back corner of a warehouse. And I still remember that little scene in my mind. And I remember the guy, I guess, who was my manager. He was a great guy, Stephen, another guy named Stephen. Loved his name. He, uh, just kidding. The, uh, we're sitting back there, and he would always say, hey, man, you, you got to make sure you've got the right chemicals to clean that. And he'd point to that. And wheelchairs can, just like anything else, depending on where they've been stored and where they've been, they can get some pretty gross stuff on them. And I would be cleaning those wheels, and I'd be cleaning all the hinges and everything around that wheelchair. And occasionally, he would say, look, there's no way to clean that. And he would pull out his super chemical. And he loved this one thing. And he would say, man, this stuff cleans it just right. 
And he would give it to me, and always I would look at him and look at a little suspicious. I'd put that chemical on there. I'd scrub with my scrub brush, and guess what? He was right. He had been there a lot longer than me. You see, when we look at the Scripture and when we look at Ezekiel 36, when we study through Hebrews 8, 9, 10, and we study about the great high priesthood, what we have to understand We can't cleanse our sin through self-effort, through religious ritual, through religious ceremony, through any other mediator that any other religious system brings out. The only way, I love the book of Acts when it says there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. The only way we can be cleansed, the only way that we can deal with the filth of our lives is through the cleaning of the Holy Spirit of God. Look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Now, notice a few things here. He mentions sprinkling. He mentions uncleannesses. He mentions idols. One commentator that that I came across said sprinkling with clean water means, for instance, more than, than just forgiveness of sins. Its symbolism is derived from ritual washings with water, which were intended to remove ceremonial defilement. And this is applied to the people cleansing from the defilement of idolatry. This is all going back. I love this because when you look at this word in the Old Testament, immediately, if you cross-reference the word, if you look at the Hebrew and you look at where is this Hebrew word found in the Old Testament, it's going to come up under the issue of ritual ceremonial cleansings. It's going to come up under the sacrificial system. It's going to come up under the need for the people to find their dirty hearts to find cleansing before God. But what do we learn in Hebrews? The old system was inadequate. The old system could only provide temporary covering. The old system was not there to fulfill man's need for ultimate cleaning, ultimate healing. And so what we find here is, is that we needed Hebrews 10, 22. Listen to what the author says. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What do we need? We need a cleansing. We need a cleansing that only God can provide and only Jesus can offer through his shed blood, through the work of the Spirit applying it to our hearts. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You remember the old hymn, Power in the Blood. Power in the blood. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. In Hebrews 9, going to the next verse that we looked at 9.12, look at 9.13. For the blood of bulls for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify 
our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Is it that powerful? He's saying, look, it didn't work under the old system. It was never designed to work. It was never designed to fulfill. But the blood of Christ has the power to bring about purifying your evil, defiled conscience. The blood of Christ is sufficient, 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But notice what he says we're cleansed from. He, he uses two different terms. One is uncleannesses, if you say it like that. I, it's a tough word for me to say. And, and when you look at this word, it's speaking about, again, of like the, uh, it's, it's speaking of these ceremonial terms in the Old Testament. It, it can denote any unclean thing from which the temple needed to be purified. It speaks of impurities that would defile a person before a holy God. That's our condition. That's where we're at. I think right now, if we're not careful, I mean, again, we've got to seek to be wise and cautious and responsible as we walk through a pandemic, but, but don't spend your life focusing more on your physical health and rejecting your spiritual health. What a tragedy. If we literally come through, if by God's grace, we come through this pandemic, may it never simply make us more health conscious. But may we understand the depravity of our heart that can only be dealt with through the great high priest. You see, when we look at Hebrews He's saying, look, you're unclean. Again, this is an affront to people who are religious who don't know God. You know what their first reaction would be? What do you mean I'm unclean? I'm good people. The, you know, the, the common saying of teenagers, they're good kids. What does that mean? They're friendly, they're nice, they're, they're, they're outgoing, they're smart, they're athletic, they're popular. What, what does it mean? It's like goodness is not the outward portrayal of who I am. Goodness is only that which God can provide. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful because in a society where we've been blessed with hearing the gospel since we were little, we have to be careful that our hearts have not been deceived to misunderstanding the truth of the gospel and for it to become an opportunity to self-justify and fail to see the root problem. Uncleannesses, and then he mentions the word idols. This is where, when I was growing up, I thought, I'm off the hook here. I don't have any idols in my room. I don't have any wood, stone, silver, gold. I remember when we were in Myanmar, Charlie, and we spent the night in a uh, Myanmar hut, and we were sleeping under the Buddha, the Buddhas in the house. I thought, that was strange. I've never done that before. I was sleeping under this shelf and there was Buddhas above me. And I was thinking, now that was the way I portrayed idolatry growing up. But I remember uh, one current popular biblical writer, he says it like this. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. 
He goes on, an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And, and, and that hits home, doesn't it? Because the one thing, I think Calvin said it, our hearts are idol producing factories. And apart from the grace of God, even as believers in Christ, the spirit is sanctifying us and revealing and pointing out idols in our hearts, but we have to see something. Apart from the grace of God, we are not only ceremonially unclean, we are depraved, we are sinners, but we are idolaters. We go after other things to please us. We go after other things in which we seek to find what only God can give. And what do we need? We don't need the old covenant. We don't need the old law. We need it only as a means by which the Holy Spirit uses it to bring us to the glories of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Cleanse. Job says, can mortal men, man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Proverbs says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. I love uh, the lyrics to Rock of Ages. Verse three, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The cleansing of the new covenant. But you know, we move into the second one. Not only are we cleansed, but under the new covenant, we are raised to life. We are raised to life. Yesterday, I, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a celebration because of the hope that David Smith had in Christ, but inevitably sad and grief because of the separation his family and friends have now that he's gone. And, and at that funeral, I really felt like the Lord leading me to speak out of John chapter 11 and the fact that because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and that miracle preceded the one that he would do about 16 days later on the cross, we have hope. We have hope because he's the resurrection and the life. But I want you to think of something and I want you to ask yourself the question, do you consider what God did in you at salvation as great of a miracle as John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus? That's the question. Because I would venture to say, many would say, oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Praise God, but it's not quite the miracle John 11 was. I want you to reconsider this morning. Because what we see in Ezekiel 36 next points to the reality that the new covenant not only brings a cleansing by the Spirit, it brings a resurrection by the Spirit. You may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Well, look at the passage. We look at the passage and what we find is, I will sprinkle, verse 25, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We need a new heart. We could, I'll pick out a few here. Look at what Jeremiah says about the heart. The heart is deceitful, above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Again, Proverbs, I just quoted it, but who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. What did Jesus say about the heart? For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Romans says what about the heart? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've got a problem here. Ephesians 2 actually says that we are dead in our sins. What do people who have diseased hearts, what are people who have hearts of stone, people who are dead in their transgressions, what do they desperately need? They need God to awaken them. They need God to rise them from the dead. And the promise of the new covenant brings a promise of regeneration, a promise of new life. And he says in verse 26, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I was reading about this because, you know, we're looking at one author said that it's a picture of God's grace in removing our hearts of stone, hardened to spiritual truth, and replacing them with hearts of flesh that are alive and receptive to God's word. Uh, one thought here is that in verse 26, when he speaks about the spirit, it's little s spirit. And when he speaks about the spirit in verse 27, it's capital S spirit. That's a thought. Because some people think that one commentator says the heart includes the mind and the will, as well as the emotions. It's the seed of personality. But then they said the spirit is the impulse which drives the man, regulates his desires, his thoughts, and his conduct. Both of these will be replaced and renewed. The heart that is stubborn, rebellious, and insensitive, a heart of stone, and the spirit. You see what he's going at? It's the idea that uh, I remember uh, one of my favorite people in Scottsboro is Leroy Armstrong. And uh, I used to, Leroy used to help me in the youth ministry at Calvary years ago. And, and if I heard him say this once, I heard him say it 727 times. But his favorite illustration, he would do this long, long, detailed illustration of a pig. And he would say, you know, you can take a pig. You can put perfume on that pig. You can put a dress on that pig. You can put deodorant on the pig. You can let the pig, you can put the pig in a house. But if the pig gets free, he'd always say, where's that pig going? And then he'd move his glasses down below his nose. And, he, and, and he, everybody would say, that pig is going for the mud. And Leroy would look at the kids and say, why is that? And he would say, because it's the pig's nature. Think about that. What's the nature of man like? To pursue God or pursue sin? Now think about it. What, if we misunderstand the gospel, all we're going to do is moralism. The Bible gives you rules for how you ought to live your life. The Bible gives you a moral code as to how you can earn the favor of God. And if you do these things, you will receive blessing. It's called, have you ever noticed that like in general on social media, a lot of people talk about God. And when someone brings up God, there's this joint conversation of everybody going, oh, we love God, America, Alabama football, you know, all that. It's like, I heard one person say years ago, it's like moral therapeutic deism. 
where we completely misunderstand God, but we have God fashioned into a way that's comfortable to us. He's the one we go to when the kids are sick. He's the one we go to when there's a crisis. He's the one we go to when we need help. It's like a spiritual genie. But we come here and salvation at this point is not so much in this view, taking a person who is dead and making them alive. No, it's simply good people having good churches to improve their good lives. But the gospel is far different. The gospel says, no, you are in such great need. Apart from the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, you'll never live. Apart from the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to be pure to enter the presence of God. Apart from God taking that which is dead and making it alive, you will simply have a heart of stone and your heart and inclinations will reflect your heart of stone in all that you do. And no matter how much externals you dress up, it will never impact the core of who you are. But what do we need? We need more than that to know God. The gospel is not dressing us up primarily on the outside. The gospel's regenerating us inwardly. And what happens when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl is changed inwardly? It can't help but show up outwardly. You see, this is a dramatic change. The third thing, and these all fit together, we're indwelt by the Spirit. Look at verse 27. And I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, here's what's amazing. You could really lump number one and two under regeneration because Titus chapter three, verse five, speaks about regeneration in the same breath he speaks about washing. You could also look at the fact of the next one we're gonna look at as part of the spirit. It's like the new covenant recognizes unless the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you, we, we sometimes lose sight because the way people only talk about the Holy Spirit in this area involves certain phenomenon. But the Holy Spirit, we don't need to be shy of speaking about the Holy Spirit just because some people abuse and misuse the scripture about the Holy Spirit. We need to stand and make it clear and proclaim, apart from the Holy Spirit, we will never be cleansed. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we could never be regenerated. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we could never come into the living room of God's house and be at home. You see, this is, I love this. This is so much fun because he's saying, look at verse 27, I'll put my spirit within you. Imagine if you went to the golf course with me today. I'm terrible at golf. It always made me mad when people say good athletes are good golfers because I must be a terrible athlete because I cannot learn how to play. I'm awful. I can hit a couple shots every once in a while and I'll hit it like 325 and the next 12 will be 65 bouncing. They're terrible. And, and the only way I'm going to go out there and play well, I would be like, man, the only way I can hit this golf ball is if Tiger Woods could control every impulse of my body. If Tiger Woods could swing the club for me, if Tiger Woods could move this body the way it was supposed to move when the club hit the ball, then I got a chance. I tell you, the beauty and the promise of the gospel is the only way 
we can do what is pleasing to God is if the presence of God comes to live within us. The gospel is not doing your best for Jesus. The gospel is not living your best you can possibly be to mimic the gospel of Christ. The gospel of the new covenant is that apart from the Holy Spirit, you have a heart of stone, you are spiritually dead, and you are unable to do anything that's pleasing to God. And guess what we receive here? This is good news for everyone in this room. The good news of the promise of the Spirit the good news in Romans 8, you, are, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Just side note real quick. A lot of people in the area speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the baptism does not come upon you at conversion. Well, I beg your pardon. What does it say here? If we don't have the spirit, we're not even his. The Spirit comes upon us mysteriously, instantaneously at conversion. In Ephesians 1.3, writing to the church, he didn't group the people into two different groups. They say those who have and those who have it. He says in verse 3, we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You're not a have not. You don't have to try to get in a room that you're not already in, in order to arrive in the Christian journey. If you're in Christ, you're in union with Jesus Christ. And that means that the blessings he's given you are yours in him. He's in you, you're in him. The spirit now lives. I pray that encourages you today. That gives me hope. Because what we, live, what we learn about in the Bible about the promise of the spirit, and I will ask the father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 2 Corinthians 1, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Same thing he says in chapter five, verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. I, I love the story. One of my favorite preachers growing up, and I still love him, is Charles Swindoll. He was a master illustrator, storyteller, and just a great preacher. He used to tell a story of a house in a neighborhood and I think it was Swindoll, Dr. Swindoll, never took care of their yard. The bushes growing crazy. The grass never cut. You've seen those houses. It's probably mine when you drive by. <laughs> no, hopefully not. But, uh, and, and every time you leave the neighborhood, you're thinking, what would, why won't they get their yard cleaned up? What's going on? It looks terrible. Well, one day you drive by that house, and all of a sudden the bushes are trimmed neatly. The grass looks good. The driveway's cleaned up. And you're like, what happened? What's the difference? Well, then one day you drive by, maybe later that night you're going to the store and you drive by and you see boxes out of a U-Haul truck and you go, aha, the house changed ownership. Someone different lives in that house now. You see, how is the new covenant gonna drastically change those that were under the demands of the old covenant? The new covenant needed a better way. The new covenant needed Christ in us, the hope of glory. The new covenant needed the spirit of God that would dwell in us. The spirit of God that would be the seed, as 1 John says, the seed of God abiding in us. And then and only then, the only way that I will ever have a nature that desires 
to hunger after righteousness, that desires to seek after the things of God, is only going to be if the Holy Spirit comes in and through his indwelling power changes my nature. New covenant promises, new covenant blessings. I've got a lot more to say about that. We're running out of time. The fourth one, we are now welcome and invited in the presence of God. We've been cleansed. We've experienced a resurrection on and on and on and on and on. You get to this place now, and the Spirit indwells us. And now four, we are welcome and invited. Look at verse 28. Now, again, this is going to be one that we have to figure out. How does this apply to us? You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Again, the interpretive lens that I'm seeing this through is that this relates in the future But again, what's the common ground that we have with those who are being promised this? The promise of presence with the promise of access to God, the promise of God's presence is only going to be experienced by Israel in the future because of the blessings of the new covenant. You look at this and you go, remember we talked about the high priest that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us access. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. Now look what does he say? Through which we draw near to God. Look at Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you you who once were far off, Why were they far off? Because they were under an old covenant. They were under an old system. But notice, union with Christ in the book of Ephesians is always in Christ, with Christ, in Christ, with Christ. It's used over and over in Pauline language, over and over and over. And what is he saying? Understand, everything changes because of the new covenant. Because now you're not just seeking externally to follow God. You're not just getting temporary covering through the old sacrificial system. But now through Christ Jesus, our great high priest, we are now in him. And he's in us. And what are the ramifications for our fellowship with him? Everything. But now in Christ Jesus, he says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You go on down a couple of verses and he says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. And then, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. And look at this tremendous blessing and statement at the last verse, verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Why can we now dwell in the presence of God? Because now we have the spirit of adoption who lives within us. You know, think about it. The the Bible starts in Genesis and our people dwelling with God after Genesis three, what happens? They're cast out of his presence. But how does the book end? It starts in the garden of Eden, right? It starts in the garden of Eden where men and women Adam and Eve are dwelling with God. And how does it come full circle? Because of the new covenant of Christ. In Revelation 21.3, 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Isn't that fun? Jeremiah 31, verse 33, at the end of that verse, it says, And I will be their God. They shall be my people. Theologians refer to this concept as adoption. And I heard a guy say it like this, and it's really resonated with me. He said, in justification, we are standing in a courtroom, but in adoption, we're brought into the living room. We're declared right because of the goodness of Christ, not because anything we bring. We're declared right because of Jesus and his imputation of righteousness now covers us, but now we're brought into the living room. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of the king. Under the old covenant, we didn't have access. Under the old covenant, there was a veil. There was a veil separating the holy of holies from anyone. But what happened when Jesus was on the cross? And right before he gave up his spirit, what happened? The veil of the temple ripped in two. And what was it a signal of? That under our great high priest, we now have full access. Praise God. Listen to this, and then we're going to close. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, One man, Kevin Zuber, says adoption is an act of God along with the other aspects of salvation whereby he makes one who was an enemy his child and a member of his household. I love it because it reminds me of uh, old Mephibosheth that was living out in the wilderness of Lodabar. And one day... Somebody knocked on his door. He went to the door, and guess who it was? It was somebody from the king's house. And they said, hey, Mephibosheth, because your daddy was in covenant with the king, you're coming to the palace. All of a sudden, this man who was a, he called himself a dead dog because of his condition now was welcomed to the king's table. It's a picture of what? The new covenant. Under the old covenant, We have no access. If anything, it hinders us from coming. But God, through his gracious means and wisdom, uses that old covenant in a very precious way to be a tutor to lead us unto Jesus Christ. This morning, how do we close? I was thinking, when we look at the Bible so often, you know, whether it's Ephesians 1 through 3 and then Ephesians 4 starts out with a whole different deal. When we look at great doctrinal considerations, it's to lead us to response, you know? And I was thinking, what, what, what should be our response to these realities that we are cleansed, we're raised to life, we're indwelt by the Spirit, we're now welcome and invited in the presence of God? There's so many we could come up with. There's probably 20 to 40. These are some that popped in my mind this morning. I pray that as a result of these truths, God would bring us to humility. Humility to recognize it's only by the grace of God 
that I'm in the family. This morning, you're invited to be a part of the family of God. It's only by grace through faith alone that we receive entrance into this precious kingdom that only God can bring. You see, it's an invitation and anyone who is willing to repent of their sins and trust in Christ can become one who is experiencing the blessings of the new covenant. Another one is confession and repentance. I, I pray that, you know, you look at these blessings. You look at the fact that we're cleansed. We're raised to life. Have you ever, can you relate with me where, where you come to church and you're just being, you're, you're in a mindset when you come in of being conformed to the world and it's like the spirit because he is conforming you to the image of his son, that, of, of, the, of, the, you know, of Christ, that what happens is, is the Lord is calling you back to fellowship, calling you back to fellowship. And what happens? You begin to go, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm not living the way God created me in Christ. I'm living according to the world. As 1 Corinthians 3 says, I'm living like a mere man. I'm not living like a child of God. And you realize, wait a minute, I've been cleansed. I've been raised. I've been indwelt. And it calls you, compels you to abide in Christ, to walk in Christ. And what does that do? It's amazing how the Spirit will use passages like this to reprove us in a gentle way to lead us to confession and repentance in our Christian life. What is it today that God's calling you to deal with in your heart. What sin are you living in? Some of you may be in here and you're living in hidden sin. And yet you know you're brokenhearted as I say that because you're thinking this is not who I am in Christ. Well, what do these realities do? They call you to repentance right now. They call you to recognize the goodness and the grace of God. And it's the grace of God and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But then thirdly, man, I pray that, that regardless, I know everybody's busy. Wow, next week's going to be crazy for everybody. you got so many things going on, teenagers, kids, moms, dads, everybody. If you're not careful, if you don't live based on the reality of God's word, you're just going to have a horrible, despairing, distressed, high blood pressure week. But if you cherish the blessings of who we are in Christ, it can lead in the midst of busyness to hope, joy, and peace-filled living. Why? Because the Spirit enables us to do the things God desires us to do. But then finally, I pray that it would give us a heart for the lost. Wouldn't it be sad if we came away with this incredible, glorious contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant, and, and it didn't cause us to look at those that we knew and we loved and we cared for that were living under the guise of religion and powerless spirituality. I pray that it gives us a heart to share the good news of Jesus to everyone to say, hey, We've got a great high priest. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me tell you how Jesus can cleanse. Let me tell you how Jesus is the only one that can take you in spiritual deadness and raise you to life. I pray that it would give us such a message to share with everyone. Would you bow your head?
Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for the, the privilege of, Lord, thank you for allowing me to share it. God, I, I thank you for that opportunity. And God, I thank you for the, the privilege of being a pastor here with, with these people. And Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you, God, that uh, you put us together for in only a way that your wisdom understands and for such a time as this. And Lord, I pray that everybody in this room I pray all of us, we would live out of these realities. God, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never come under the new covenant, that's never come to know Jesus, I pray today would be the day of salvation in their life. I pray today that your spirit would, would show them their need of Christ. And I pray, oh God, that they would cry out to you. They would cry out, oh Lord, save me. Oh, Lord Jesus, save me. Oh, God, bring me under these blessings. Bring me, God, under your, your new way. I pray, Lord, today that everyone here would come to know who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for your patience with us. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged and changed all at the same time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you stand with me.